Dada stands on the side of the revolutionary proletariat. Open up at last your head. Leave it free for the dip for the demands of our age. Down with art. Down with bourgeois intellectualism. Art is dead. Long live the machine art of Tatlin. Dada is the voluntary destruction of the bourgeois world of ideas. Hell yeah, go off. Go off, Dada. I just did. What was it? Open up now your head? Open up at last your head. Open up at last your head. I'm going to start saying that to my students. <laughs> Open up at last your head. Open up at last your head. We have a quiz tomorrow. <laughs> um, that's pretty cool. I, I mean, the, every every piece of Dada uh, text is always Dada gets me off. fired up. Dada. Gets me fired up even on a quiet, I have, quiet win- winter's evening. I have a lot of... Uh, a lot more material where that came from. Death to the bourgeois what? Pig, Everything. maybe. Bourgeois world. pig. Death to the bourgeois. Voluntary what? destruction of the bourgeois world of, of ideas. the bourgeois pig. You want to know something really embarrassing? My first acquaintance with the word bourgeois, as far as I can remember, at least when it actually registered in my mind, was a coffee shop in Lincoln Park, Chicago, my freshman year in college, called the bourgeois pig. <laughs> and I was like... What does this mean? What is I don't that? get it. It was this extremely pretentious place that all of the um, all of the items were different, like liter- books and literatures, like the the sun sunny side up also rises, that sort of thing. <laughs> and all the guys who worked there were in a band. Um, wow! And I s- actually saw them play. Yeah, it was it was one of those one of those moments, you know. Look at th- things came full circle for for me, hmm. and the world was bigger than I had imagined. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole host of coffee shop names you could ring from uh, about... From Marx's Yeah, 1890. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Superstructure. Yep. Yeah. Intelligence, yeah. Another thing... Yeah, I mean, that's a real one. Um, another thing I, I've that I've been thinking about recently, or ju- I just walked past a place that was a... a co- it's a coffee shop in Denver, that calls itself a collective. Have you seen this? Sometimes coffee shops will call themselves collectives. A lot of things call themselves collectives. At what point are you allowed to call yourself a collective? Um, And and as far as I know, this place doesn't do anything but sell coffee. It's a bit like like the word doctor. There's no rules. (laughs) Anybody can do it. Sure. Yeah, it's just, it's whatever you want it to mean. Uh, yeah, I agree. Cause I would, I think you choose the word collective to explicit, like to avoid, uh, subtly actually being a co-op or something that does imply a, right. a, a real actual different yeah. legal governance structure mm-hmm. collective. I mean, yeah, collective. it's a collective owned by one cool guy in his forties with cool straight bill hats and <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's a, when you, when you, Sign the you get the LLC for your for your small business. They give you one of those flatbird nice, hats. Nice big patch on the front. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, how's it going, man? <clears throat> it's good. We've been <clears throat> off for a while. Yeah. Um, lots happened. Lots happened more in your world than mine. But um, yeah, a lot has happened. But uh, you know, if you want a predictable, regular uh, publishing schedule, then go to one of those big wig highfalutin uh podcast network sponsored podcast one of those ones you're not going to get that here you're not going to get that here because this is a podcast that is at its core inspired by dada spontaneous of course dada no deadlines no schedule no accountability whatsoever thank you 
Yeah, because that's ant- antithetical to the creative process. Antithetical to art, mm-hmm. in fact. In truth, in fact. In fact. Um, yeah, there's been a lot going on. It's it's uh, right before the new year, just right after uh, Christmas. I am on my first day out of isolation from COVID. Um, and you can probably hear I'm still a little bit hoarse. I think it makes me sound kind of cool, honestly. And I hope my voice stays like this forever. I'm looking at the levels right now, and, and it, it looks like you're sounding cool, for sure. Good, good. Um, so I got COVID. That kind of ruined my winter break. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, but it took up most of my winter break. So managed to not get it through, you know, a f- half of a school year, five days a week of school with kids pulling down their masks to, to you know, do whatever the hell kids do. Um, and, you know, got Make it. Out. To make out and Namely. to give each other 30 high fives a day, even though they just saw each other five minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to lower their mask to do that. What is the cool thing to do with your hands? It's, it's pretty cla- pretty standard, pretty standard dap, just like... Class, just no, no bump. No bump. Yeah. Yeah. Bump was in for one year. Well, the fist bump is still very... No, but I'm saying right. when you go through the more of that That chain, was very brief. Yeah. There was a brief moment where you did finish with a bump. Right. And and, and then, I think that'll come back. It comes back every now and then. You know what? This never really was this was never really even I don't think we we're uh old enough for that ever. That which was the on top, on bottom, pound in the middle. Right. That's that's you know, that's very nineties, I think. I guess so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um maybe I should bring that back. So I got a uh I got COVID. Oh, um yeah. Your 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 levels are actually maybe a little high. I think you just blew out the speakers. Yeah, sorry. Because I have a, I I know, have a deep bassy voice. Um, I got a dog shortly before I got COVID. Aww. Mm-hmm. She's a sweetheart. Yep, sweet Roma, Roma tomato, um, Roma the the uh, Romani gypsy dog. Um, no, she's a boxer. American bulldog mix. She's a big strong dog. She's real strong, and the real challenge right now is getting her to not kill other animals <laughs> so it's including ben's dog it's Peach. her nature yeah she's she's a she's a bulldog at heart um but she's also a total sweetie whereas my dog was people bred for shows and and right. being waited on by butlers and right yeah walking wong along, alongside aristocracy my dog was made for the streets so <laughs> that's the difference between you and me um no roma's been a, a great uh, addition to my household, um, you know, I c- keeps keeps my neighbor in check. Oh yeah, who he? I saw him today, and I, you know, had a kind of flex moment where I was like, "Yeah, this is my dog." Yeah. Beep. Why don't you come bother come, me come, again come about? Come tell me my the volume of my record player. Yeah. Come tell me my Whitney Houston records are too loud. <laughs> um, again. Uh, uh, let's see what else. That's pretty much it. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but um, it's COVID dog. I think there was. Oh, one there's more one more thing. Oh, thing. Yeah. We can, yeah. My essay. Oh yeah. But right. We, well, I want to hear about what's up with you first. Uh, not not nothing. Nothing. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, not really. Just chilling out. Um, doing some Fovis style drawings. Yeah, yeah. See. I was gonna say that. Um, we're back in in Ben's studio to record this episode, and there's some new artwork up on the walls. Um, if you recall one of our previous episodes where we discussed fauvism, Ben Ben seems to have taken a conscious uh, 
step in that direction, incorporating some sort of fauvist flora and fauna mm-hmm. into his landscape paintings, getting less representational as we go along here, mm-hmm. a little bit less uh, strictly impressionist, and, and seem to be kind of blending a number of different things. It's cool, dude. Cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's just been experimental. No no plans on these. It's just kind of... But why are those pink? What is that supposed to be? <laughs> what is it supposed to be? Little pieces of salmon or what? Wow. <laughs> there you go, folks. If you have to ask, then... You're part of the problem. You might be a, a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, but uh, it's it's just been uh, just kind of... I've, I've had like a... I've been uh, using pastels in a way that's allowed me to just kind of like layer and experiment and just start without a plan and then bring it to a point of finishing, which is nice. It's nice to be able to finish something, you know, relatively. Um, And so, yeah, it's just just kind of been an exploration. Hmm. See what comes out, see what I'm feeling. So, yeah, but not not, not really on that. Um, It's about the journey, not the destination. Remember that, Ben? Yeah, I, I spent... Two or three weeks, which is exactly as much as I want, singing like jazzy covers of Christmas songs <laughs> to myself. Christmas <laughs> time. Everyone loves that classic Christmas song. Yep. Singing on the Christmas. <laughs> singing on the Christmas line. Um, um, not much. Uh, not much else. Got got some good Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Do some trout fishing sometime soon. Yep. Um, yeah, man. It's been it's been a decent decent break, all things considered. Uh, considering at the very beginning of it, we were I think all fairly convinced that it was going to be like restarting COVID all over again. But it seems more like it's almost in its last. It's very hard to explain and understand. I don't know. It's not over. It's certainly not over. It's in, it's on its last gasp in that everyone has it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we're all in our last that gasp. Hopefully, is a turning point. Yeah. A mental turning point that mm-hmm. this is something you get. Yeah. Um, right. So, anyways. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that. Anyways, let's talk about your essay. You did. A, Paul had a I'll brag on Paul a little bit. He had an essay come out in the Rumpus about. None other than God Emperor John Berger, mm-hmm. uh, the very leader of our cult. And, um, I mean, we can talk about as much or as little as you like. I had some immediate thoughts because it, it was, I mean, you wrote it and then it went through a long editing process. Right, and then, right. um, so in the interim, a lot of the stuff we talked about became more and more prescient. And then the essay came out and it was like, this is sort of, Everything we've been talking about, and then even more things had happened in the right. culture that made it all the more correct. And you know, hold those thoughts. Sorry, because I want to before we talk about that stuff and get all you know, do an, a formal interview of me. Sure. And and my work, um, I want to give you a little quiz. Okay. All right. I feel like it's been a while since we've we've uh, sharpened our knowledge, or we've we've kind of you know practiced recalling important uh, knowledge about art and the theory of art, okay? So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to read to you a quote. Okay. And then I'll read a list of names. This is multiple choice. You have to pick who wrote this quote, who said this, 
Okay. Let's go easy. All right. Here's our first quote. I didn't even study. Beauty today can have no other measure except the depth to which a work resolves contradictions. A work must cut through the contradictions and overcome them, not by covering them up, but by pursuing them. Was this written by A, Karl Marx, B, Theodore Adorno, C, John Berger, or D, John Madden? <laughs> I will say Berger. Not quite. This is our. This is one of our trickier ones because all these first three guys are very much in in school with each other. John Berger being of the the lineage uh, from the Frankfurt School, um, and of course the Frankfurt School all being Marxists themselves. This is Theodore Adorno, okay, um, who we. I've tried to read and can't make heads or tails of. Um, I don't know what I this guy's make, talking about. I don't about. know what this guy's talking He's speaking Greek to me. Um, but no, we, we will dig, dig in him a little bit more. Okay, and John Madden, that was a little reference to John Madden. Had a lot of great things to say about the game of football. He was more <laughs> of an X's and O's man. <laughs> <laughs> um, rest in peace. No, did you hear he died? No. He died this week. Was he alive? <laughs> exactly. He was. He was. He was. He was only 85, so he wasn't quite that old. Um, he's a good dude, though. He's a good I'll dude. save my impression for later. Yeah. yeah, he was a good guy. He was. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a, you know, I'm not sure how many f- classic football guys you can say that about. Mm. Um, he's a good guy. Okay, so, next quote. I don't paint from emotion or feeling, which I think are both very ephemeral. For me, painting is much more about kind of trying to bring forth, bring forth what is which is, I think, the universal truth. Hmm. Was this A, Jackson Pollock, B, Hunter Biden, (laughs) C, Joe Biden, or D, Bo Biden? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I missed the very beginning of it, and I think that would help me, but I'm sure it's got to be Hunter. It's Hunter. Yeah, it's Hunter. Okay. yeah, he, you know, of course, Hunter has recently f- taken a, a pretty serious foray into the world of, of painting and abstract art. He certainly has. He certainly has. Um, and the, 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 the jury is still out on the critical reception of those paintings. Uh, okay, next quote. A real piece of art is a window into the transcendent. That's what it is. And you need that in your life because you are finite and limited and bounded by your ignorance and your lack of knowing. And unless you can make a connection to the transcendent, then you don't have the strength to prevail. Was this said by A, C.S. Lewis, B, Jordan B. Peterson, C, Michael B. Jordan, or D, Michael Jordan? Who's Michael B. Jordan? (laughs) He's the actor who played... um, yeah, uh, Apollo Creed's son. Yeah, 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 yeah. The chap. Um, I miss like the beginning. We're talking about art is transcendent. Art is a window in the into the transcendent. <clears throat> it does have a re- reactionary tinge to it, so it could be Jordan Peterson. It's but I'm mm, sorry. Go ahead. Keep <laughs> tell going. Me, keep, tell going. Me. keep going. Keep going. <laughs> but it sounds a little too human to be him. 
It's him. It's okay. Peterson. Yeah. Okay. It's, I mean, I think it's it's from a an interview, so yeah. it's less of his polished prose. It's reactionary. It's reactionary. It's right there. And yeah. and you know that that word transcendent alone. Yes. I think is kind of the tip off for and you know what what it's you know it's got the seeds of all of his ideas here is that you need this connection to something transcendent which is a totally meaningless word in the way he uses it yes. it just means like not it not secular or like not modern yeah just something in absolute moral or spiritual code that doesn't ever have to be justified. and this will make you strong it right. will allow you to resist right uh temptation and weakness and all these different things that's why we want art right because it's like eating protein it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like doing creatine yeah um okay next all efforts to make pol politics aesthetic culminate in one thing war was this said by a ben shapiro b walter benjamin c Walter Payton or D George W. Bush politics static well Walter Benjamin I'm gonna say yes that's yeah. correct Benjamin um, that's Walter Benjamin final final quote here fuck it just jumped into this hype and minted my first NFT definitely living in a simulation these, <laughs> these devils are clean as fuck for real for real for real was this A <laughs> Dr. Cornell West. B. You can stop there. <laughs> say. Joe Rogan. C. Slavo Zizek. Or D. Jake Paul. D. Correct. It's Jake Paul. Nice. What a cool guy. <sighs> really cool guy. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That was enlightening. <laughs> yeah. Kind of sketching a little bit of a landscape of some different perspectives on art. Um,. Uh, yeah, and it, it, it actually did lead me to, once again, see some of George W. Bush's uh, paintings. Mm -hmm. You remember that, when he did that? Oh, my God. That is such a mind... That is such an... That's, uh, that's so weird. Yeah. I mean, that was his, like, post-presidential... I know. Obama has his Netflix series, his series and his water skiing. And yeah, that's Bush, true. Bush has his uh, painting. I never really... I hadn't thought about it in about... Five years at least, mm -hmm. and in that time, have come to believe him to be the most deeply evil person. George W. Bush or George Bush Senior, both well, pretty bad. Uh, yeah, both, both evil, both extremely evil. So, but I so I hadn't really contemplated it that way. Uh -huh. I think when we were uh, in like high school and college, the prevailing uh like bush persona if you were not a republican was sort of like he's sort of like a, a dope. silly little dope yeah right and so that you you slot that into there if he's doing these kind of oh it's cutesy bad yeah, bad realism sure. mm -hmm. um but then now thinking about it v believing him to be a deeply evil person right it's I wonder if it's real, if if he's really doing that, mm -hmm. or if that's just uh, how psychology works, in a, one it's, way that his mind is stopping from killing itself. Definitely a psychology moment, right? I think I think Jordan B. Peterson would have a field day with that. Um, 
Well, he is. Who can say? He is uh, our generation's professor. Mm -hmm. Thank God. So I was just testing your knowledge there. And I, and I also wanted to wanted to bring up, you know, something we talked about a little bit last episode. And also uh, you can give me your compliments now about my essay, um, you know, which is, of course, NFTs have kind of even just come in again into prominence or maybe in, into more prominence they've been yeah, in. Value just seems to be going up and up. Up, and up, 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 up. I don't which think there's a downside to this, no folks. downside to that. Get in um, on this. Yeah, it has reached that point where uh, they're they're popular enough and and have crossed into the threshold of relative normalcy that like it's you see, it's just you see people talking about it seriously, which is the most discouraging thing of all. Yeah, you know, it's like the stage when it's still stupid and people are making fun of it, and it's like, look how absurd this is. Is is in retrospect, kind of a blissful, blissful state of mind. Yeah. And then when it's like, okay, now we need to seriously talk about NFTs. Right. It's like, fuck. Oh yeah. My God, how did we get here? Yeah. I I spent like um for for one of my jobs over the last year that uh like three weeks in a co-working space mm -hmm. and just like it's gotta be it's gotta be a haven, gotta be a cesspool right. of NFTs. Well, it wasn't that yet, <laughs> but it was it was like. You're bumping into so many people who are like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I have a crypto startup and right. they're finan crypto financial advisors or some sort of investment fund focused on crypto. Right. And it's like, okay, these are real people now yeah. who believe that they're like, right. or want people to believe they have a business. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that would be the next stage is where I'm actually meeting people who are, that's their job Yeah, is at NFTs. Right. I guess before we get depressed about it, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you want to recap any of the essay, but uh, la our last episode was a, we did a little farce on mani manifestos and gave you the Magic Camp Manifesto. But for real, I would say your essay is basically the man actual Magic Camp Manifesto. Sure. Um, or it's, uh, you know, the, the actual value we've been hovering around and playing at of trying to demystify art uh make it our own ma make some simple sense out of it and reclaim what's useful mm -hmm. to improve our lives uh improve the lives of people around us right um and especially to do that against the forces that control art that are constantly seeking to mystify and confuse and play a constant shell game with uh where's the power what are we what is all this art stuff for um and you'll never understand so just trust us right um and yeah uh any any things you'd like to share um i don't know i mean the thing about writing is that for a person like me i don't know if this is true for all writers but it's uh part of the reason you do it is because you know it's the only way you can be articulate famous. about famous um articulate about complex things and writing force writing pushes your mm -hmm. intellect and pushes your uh, ability to articulate this was one of the most difficult things i've ever written because it was i had to wrangle a lot of different stuff it had to it pushed me to another level of of understanding this stuff or having a framework for it 
And so I don't think I can even necessarily summarize it all that well. I think, you know, it's better to read the essay, to be completely honest. The essay is better than anything I could say impromptu. Yeah. um, Because I'm not that type of speaker. Um, But... Yeah, it it was it was cool to write. I mean, part of it is a little discouraging because I wrote it like in the beginning of the pandemic or like at that time thought it was like mid pandemic or almost end of the pandemic. Um, But it was literally like a year and a half ago in the summer of 2020 Um, and was still thinking about like Zoom and all this different stuff, which is like really depresses me in a way. It's like because I still did a whole another year of Zoom teaching after that. Yeah, which was what way worse than the first few months of it i'll say teaching college on zoom was way worse than teaching high school way better than teaching high school on zoom really big time. oh oh wait college yes, yeah, yeah, way yeah, better. Yeah. right right you know two classes yes week. so nfts are the literal opposite of what i put forth in that exactly episode, which is essentially arguing that like for democratizing art for like people taking control of correct art. right and on one level, I mean, people will say, yeah, oh, it's now anybody can own an NFT. Anybody can create an NFT, mint an NFT. That That is the, it's it's not ownership at in any real meaningful sense. It's not art in any meaningful sense. It's mystification. It's mystification in its full, uh, it's full completion. Right. It's like it's the it's the terminus of the capitalization of art. Yes. Right. Yeah. I see. I I, kind of see you're you're describing two forces. One is like uh, a more democratizing force, which actually does come about through or should be coming uh, coming from progress and possibly technology. And then the force of capital and power that is re-entrenching and recapturing through mystification, Mm -hmm. particularly in the field of art. So you give the example uh, that goes back to like Walter Benjamin of the birth of photography, first of all, as the first sort of reproductive Mm -hmm. means of images is that like is an early iteration of this where you have a moment where art could be more accessible to the masses Mm -hmm. and could be widely distributed because... These are not stuck in someone's, you know, some person's villa or or in a gallery or whatever, extremely exclusive environments. They can be widely distributed. And that is the beginning of the mystification process of the original that we've talked about, that Berger talks about a lot, where in order to maintain and centralize the value of the person who owns the artwork, that could be given away through photography mm-hmm. now, like through the force of progress, there has to be an intellectual ideological mystification process right. to, to emphasize why it's special to be in the presence of the real Mona Lisa, even though you've seen it hundreds of times. Right. And you possibly, theoretically, could have gained everything that is possible to gain from it already yeah. by processing it, you know, right. even though you're on a different continent. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's that. And then there is a whole nother wave of the digitization of art uh, like this. It's relevant to me because, I mean, as I got into art, computers and Adobe was already a thing. And so you can create art on, on a computer 
it affords a lot of different benefits and drawbacks or whatever, but you have to realize that there's no original. Like, and until two years ago, there was never such thing as an original piece of digital artwork. Mm -hmm. You create it for its own sake, for whatever power the image or the story has on its own, not because you have the original JPEG or like the original Photoshop file, because there's no such thing, because oh, it's God, just, it's, so depressing. <laughs> it's just ones and zeros that is, can be carbon copied and there's no right. difference. And so, so it's, it's reverse engineering the same process of mystification right. with no, there's, there's not even that element of rarity. It's manufacturing the idea. Exactly. Of it's, it's repeating that process of, we have to, again, invent an original for something where that is a complete farce. There's no canvas. There's no paint. There is no original, but we need to invent a digital original that can be owned. Whereas anyone with this, who knows Command 4 can screenshot this, and they have it. That's yeah. the actual reality, the plain reality. Yeah. Um, it's disgusting. So, yeah, it's it's just the same old move of power and capital to right. mystify this process yeah. and there's value in the original it's blockchain you know right and so but again it to me it, it just emphasizes the actual call to action of the essay which is to fight fight this force of mystification and to claim to claim some s simple ground in art right that is opposed to that that theory of ownership or whatever which is harder to define but it's also like simpler yeah, for sure. You've paraphrased my essay better than I could myself. Yeah, it's and and most of the ideas are borrowed from Berger anyway. That right. was that yeah, was yeah. interesting in the um, you know, editorial process was basically the original edits of the essay or version of the essay was like heavier on Berger. It mm -hmm. had a lot more like bolt block quotes and stuff, and she and my editor was like, basically was like. Where I'm giving you license to, to paraphrase, and incorporate this into your own thesis. Like we know you're talking about John Berger. Mm -hmm. You don't need to quote full blocks of text every time you're going to put forth a new idea and say he said this. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I was like, okay, so that was a really a difficult balance, but yeah. um, because it's not an academic essay, it, my, the first my first version of it was a lot more academic. Right. Um, which even now it still probably is. Uh, but yeah, it was really fun. It was really cool hmm. to do that with a really awesome editor. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Congrats. It's, it's Thanks, bro. It's a great essay. But, and, it, and it really is. Um, but the real problem, not the real problem, but one issue that I, I anticipated was just that like, just because an essay exists doesn't mean people are going to read it. True. I don't have a real social media presence nor do you. My mine's better than yours, but you. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, like, what do you what do you even do? Like, are people even reading essays? You know, I mean, they, they, you gotta get jump back into the fray. Is Magic Camp gonna have to get back on Twitter, or if we ever were in the first place, are we gonna have to start um, networking with other podcasts at podcast festivals? <laughs> Sounds great, man. Yeah, dude, let's let's connect. Let's collab. I mean, you and me, and then nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we can don't talk have any answers that. about that. Yeah. Yep. No, we we just want you know, 
everybody wants their stuff to be if they if you put the time into make making anything you want people to see it and read it right you're telling me bro well you're out there art fairs yep (laughs) (laughs) that's what that's what my essay amounts to art fairs (laughs) art fairs (laughs) art fairs are cool all right well uh should we jump into data let's do it okay uh with that very short teaser at the beginning I, i hope you at least uh, maybe caught the suggestion that we're going to talk about Dada finally, and I'm psyched. Um, been reading a lot of uh, source material, and it's, it's just really fun, interesting stuff. Um, so I'm going to fly through some stuff by way of introduction. Um, Go for it. And, yeah, you good? I'm good. Okay. So one thing is... We'll, I'll, I'm going to start by just sort of setting our timeline straight because I think we've it's it's been hard to process since we haven't gone chronologically necessarily. Right. We've hit different spots. And uh, I realized more and more, 1910 to 1920, everything happened so fast that it was re- it's it's hard to to get the pacing right. Uh, and I, I may have even misstated at times, like where does where does Dada fall, where does futures and fall, and yeah, we've touched a number of movements that were very adjacent to Dada, futurism, surrealism. I don't know if we explicitly talked about everything about Cubism, but and then sort of just Paris avant-garde, nineteen uh-huh. aughts. Well, it's all so huddled together and interwoven that. Um, they're, they're all almost happening at the same time. But I'll just kind of go through this timeline just so we have our bearings. So 1880 in Paris, which would be sort of the Western hub of art, um, is uh, its Impressionism is the talk of the town, right? Anything that's avant-garde or interesting or of the conversations in the cafes is Impressionism. Have you seen these Impressionists? Their trees are so blurry. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and after that, uh, sort of after that first generation has made their mark, the second generation, there's already sort of splitting a reactionary group that is either going to just stay, you know, this is impressionism forever. This is, this is what we are, or even more, more of a sort of backwards retreat. I think of Seurat, you know, mm-hmm. um, pointillism, pointillism, divisionism as almost like neo-impressionism it's like yeah it's sort of taking it too literally yeah of right we're just going to get more and more precise and smaller with our daubs of paint and more mathematical with our color combinations to achieve shimmer through complementing colors and all Mm -hmm. that and Mm -hmm. um looks pretty cool yeah in a way yeah kind of and in a way not um so yeah, there's there's more of this sort of like conservative core and then a progressive core and then even sort of busting out of that is the people we like to talk more about, Van Gogh, uh, Gauguin, Cezanne, of what are we now call the post-impressionists who are actually moving beyond impressionism, pushing the envelope of realism and representation, well, abstraction, even more, right? Right. So by 18... 90 van gogh is dead no 
Gauguin is on his way to Tahiti to make some of his best works and, and to get laid. find a child bride. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cezanne is trudging along, as he does for another decade and a half. Just I always, always that. trudging. <coughs> He's just like this rhinoceros, <laughs> like just with a pipe. A rhinoceros smoking a pipe. Somehow. Yeah. Um, but he's by 1890 becoming what we think of as Cezanne today. He's actually slowly gathering together his vision of uh, of a new art, basically. The rhinoceros becomes the unicorn. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, Man, why would you want unicorns when we've got, what does he say? When rhinos. That's from uh, Lodge 49. It's a great line. Who says that? People. Uh, Ernie. Ernie? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember that, but I can't remember the I context. Think, I think it's, yeah. I, I can't remember. Anyways. Ernie's the best. Yep. Um, 1900, Picasso makes his first visit to Paris, and a couple of years later, he will take up permanent residency there, and he'll start to make his friends and have his studio and gather that group that we've talked about, like the banquet years in Paris, where things are popping off, uh, and they're drawing inspiration from Cezanne and Gauguin and Vincent. Uh, 1908, we talked about the banquet of Rousseau, right? So again, like that's things are really incubating now in terms of all these influences coming in mm-hmm. and forming like the core of the Cubist group. Um, 1910 is Futurist Manifesto. So I don't know if I emphasized uh, enough when we talked about futurism how concurrent futurism really was with cubism. That's 1910, right? Hmm. They're very... Uh, then again, the Futurist Manifesto was more about poetry. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't doing as much painting then. But right. still, this is very much at the... Like, this is the inciting times. And then by 1912, cubism is, like, pretty much in full swing and making all the cubist paintings that you think of as cubism. Right. And, and, and writing about it and uh, verbalizing their work and, and their concepts and, and everything like that. Um, so by like 1912, 1915, um, I'm, I'm saying cubism. And there were so many other artists besides Picasso um, and movements beside cubism that were very close to the center of this. But cubism is become and it's not in it's not inaccurate i don't think to say is like truly the tip of the spear that completely broke the the back of naturalism realism and the whole tradition stretching back to the renaissance and truly in this period 1912 1915 won the right for paintings to to do almost anything right broke all the rules and I mean really set forward the idea of abstraction um, and once you have that idea that a, that a painting doesn't have to represent anything it doesn't have to be realist it sort of completely broke the dam and there's you know before the decade is out every possible formal innovation has happened that's a depressing thing I've kind of come to realize is like they made all the f- formal innovations of how what is a picture for and and how can it be done in line and color um and shape they they did it all in this decade 
it was really like sort of trying everything and cubism like i said at least start history and it's accurate enough to say it was really like the tip of the spear that broke everything open and then within two or three years far outside of paris far outside of cubism there's dozens of different movements and artists who are going absolutely insane with abstraction and anything you could ever want in a painting um get what i'm saying yeah like by 1916 um in new york which remember at this time was really not paris like not it was not, not not considered an art the art center certainly of the world new york is over <laughs> stanton stanton mcdonald wright is already has like a full theory of how art needs to be or visual art painting needs to be thought of exact in the same terms of music right like uh line and color and shape is correlates to pitch and tone and tempo and stuff like that so they're to me that's like that's a pretty developed abstract thought and you've got by 1919 Mondrian painting his squares and Kandinsky and all that feel me I'm tra- I'm tracking. Okay. 1916 is where we're going to start today with the birth of Dadaism. So mm. this is very, you know, it's right there in the heart of things. Right. This is not as I, I may have implied of like, this is sort of, I, I may have thought before that Dada is sort of like in a second rate, you know, sort of like picking up the scraps. Mm. of the initial avant-garde but it, it it was really part of the action you know you did you said that and i was like i think you're kind of you got the timeline wrong ben i had it wrong i'm sorry i think you're picking up this you're saying that dada's picking up the scraps and it's not it's not really true <laughs> the the thing that had me a little confused is world war one um is such a dividing line before and after and i think of dada as so much being impacted by World War One and coming after, although it didn't quite. It happened in during as it was happening. Right. right. Um, it's just that they are justified so much in hindsight of World War One, mm. um, whereas Cubism had so much of the hope and energy of a world before World War One. Mm-hmm. So okay, one thing I'd like to touch on is um, when you think of Cubism. It's it's regarded and it, well it's regarded as like sort of the pinnacle and the mascot of modern art, right? Um, I've always found a little bit of confusion in the definition of modern art and cubism, especially in that it's always struck me as also so postmodern. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but because it is so much about defying to me, it seemed logic and breaking the rules of enlightenment modernity and enlightenment rationality um and that's always sort of how i've read it is like isn't this anarchic isn't this sort of like breaking down the laws of perception um yeah i I understand what you mean i always kind of felt the same way about when people talk about modernism and postmodernism in literature was that the principles of modernism sound it's all about radical reinventions of form and maybe it's just a different understanding of what that word even means you know it's like the word modern means in its at its core not 
classical, not not traditional. At least in its yeah, when it was the word that the way it was being used originally, and, that, and then postmodern is just a step further. It's a step. It's like where there's not even there's nothing to disrupt anymore. It's like it's like there's not a, there's not even a a uh, a form or a tradition to to destroy or to uh, yeah distort. It's already distorted that, and we live in that distortion. Right, that could be true. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think though one thing that needs to be explained about cubism is it, it um unless you're sort of uh caught up to speed on especially how they conceived of their own art especially as it matured and got into its later stages is uh it was often thought of by the artists as a very analytical framework that it was a way of not destroying perception but of adding to complexity or adding to the complexity of perception it's adding so it's not just two dimensions and the illusion of a third dimension and perspective. Mm-hmm. It's it's four dimensions, including time or uh, maybe even more. Right. And it's it's actually, I think, in the way they conceived it, even sort of like a a, a progressive step forward and even a scientific step forward mm. um, in understanding perception and reality. Um, but it, it's still regarded itself as like getting at the truth mm-hmm. right and i think saw itself as an extension of sort of like that project of progress enlightened maybe not enlightenment progress but progress and moving forward and above all like a hope for humanity and a hope for a future and i think modernity especially <coughs> like one thing we don't really have a context for anymore is that it was so much associated with the progress of liberalism in the classical sense think of like french french national liberalism and the birth of nation states the birth of liberal democracy right and the overthrowing of old feudal europe modernity is sort of tied to the hip to that that liberal nation state project um and so but above all, like I think it's that that feeling of progress that that we are on a new track. We're breaking free from the old uh, religious mystifications. We're breaking few. We're breaking free from sort of the old feudal lords, and humanity is moving towards something greater with our intellect and with our spirit. I guess, um, <laughs> and cubism still does have that hope to it it's or it's very organized like mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't fall into a sort of like anarchism it's it has an analytical side to it um especially like certain later developments of it mm-hmm. that doesn't we don't have to get bogged down in that but the point being i think cubism part of the tension is really does contain these possible duality in these branches of or in modern art between more of the um, the modern rational side uh, and more hopeful side that we're moving towards a more organized society and our future is very bright and we're, we're moving towards a t- type of utopia and that's what we artists are struggling for. Um, 
but also contain the seeds of the postmodern art that we're just way more inert in today of a pessimism and uh, a feeling of chaos and meaninglessness and things we do like probably associate all modern art with but wasn't true at the time um do you know what i'm saying with that at all it'll become more clear as we get get through this yeah i just i wonder if the term itself is just not it's too it's too broad you know that that like there was it sounds like there was a lot of different stuff happening you know and like and that sometimes it all gets lumped into the category of modernism and and when when there are different strains of of modernism and you know even again just thinking about um literature versus visual art literary modernism is considered primarily post world war one as far as i understand okay so at least the the prominent writers Mm -hmm. of that of that or of that period like you know um E.E. Cummings, Gertrude Stein, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, all those all those people who were iconoclastic in in disrupt disrupting literary forms and and um, themes, you know, traditional themes, which was concurrent with disruption of of the social fabric. Yeah, to some degree. So so maybe that you, yeah you're you know, right that like maybe it's just that writers or liter like written literature maybe never really had that this is what maybe the futurists did like maybe there's some poets who just don't poets and writers who just don't we don't talk about anymore who did that because it's a little less compelling than cubism is you know which is cubism or Mondrian or any of these people who were like creating a, uh, like you say, a um, adding a dimension, not destroying perception, but adding a dimension to it as a reflection of progress. Maybe just the any literary attempt at doing that was just not good. Um, may yeah, maybe so. I think you're right though. Like, because now, now as you bring up literature, I'm it's like Ayn Rand or something. <laughs> Maybe she's she's that person. Yeah, maybe so. And yeah, like it's it's tough to say. I'm I'm probably trying to. This is just how my brain works of like trying to force all this into terms too much and understand it through two words. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't matter. the The main thing I want to do is kind of set up uh, Dada's sort of unique spirit let's get into dada let's do it but first i'm going to read something so i by by way of contrast uh coming out of cubism or you could say just just coming out of the idea that art can be abstract like every Mm -hmm. above all the thing that tied all these artists together is they were really psyched about abstraction um and breaking free from realism um but there's a definite strain coming out of that that saw that as a chance that abstraction was an essential way to get get down to the or uh, yeah in a, a necessary way to get beyond appearances and down to the essential relations of the world that are true and eternal 
and that if we understand and can sort of map a way through painting would guide society towards a utopian vision. So, and you, you have to remember too that like a socialist revolution is, is happening at this time and is, you know, potentially guiding the world in that direction. So while there's all this despair for World War One, there's also the hope that you have like a leading way in the Soviet Union, right? And so whether it's like, I mean, I guess it would mostly be socialist, but it also gets, it finds its way into all sorts of art and design and architecture is this sort of like an ordering through essential, the most essential like nature of reality um, that we will bring to society through art, design and architecture. We don't have to go into all that. But uh, so here's Mondrian, 1919. The cultivated the cultivated man of today is gradually turning away from natural things and his life is becoming more and more abstract. The new plastic idea thus correctly represents actual aesthetic relationships. To the modern artist, it is a natural consequence of all of the plastic ideas of the past. This is particularly true of painting, which is the art least bound to contingencies. The picture can be a pure reflection of life in its deepest essence. However, new plasticism is pure painting. The means of expression still are form and color, though there are complete though they are these are completely interiorized. The straight line and the flat color remain purely pictorial means of expression. Although each art uses its uses its own means of expression, all of them as a result of the progressive cultivation of the mind tend to represent balanced relations with ever greater exactness. The balanced relation is the purest representation of universality, of the harmony and unity which are inherent characteristics of the mind. You don't have to follow what he's saying, but I just want you to grasp the character (laughs) of what he's saying, of what he and, and many artists in his sort of this, this branch of modernism feel is the the power and the the potency of modern art is finding their way towards an essential harmony right and um harmony and and unity which are inherent characteristics of the mind and of all being right i just want you to grasp how inherently kind of spiritual and uh optimistic that vein is who is this that's Mondrian. Oh, okay. Mr. Squares. Mr. Squares. So he sees the squares the perfect representation of balance, harmony, the coincidence of opposites. And this doesn't do it for me. <laughs> Mondrian no. doesn't do it for me. I I agree with you. Yeah. That means you're a Dadaist. Mm-hmm. So, um, I yeah, I just wanted to draw attention to that vein of modern art, which is very real. And then at the same time, uh, a group of rogues who are sort of uh, grasping something totally different. Like they're taking something, a very different lesson from all this modern art stuff. So in 1916 in Zurich, Switzerland, so we're finally getting out of Paris, um, you could say that Dada was founded at the Cabaret Voltaire, which is like just a bar music hall by Hugo Ball, who owned the bar music hall. 
and basically they put on musical reviews and variety shows and cabarets um, with uh, a bunch of characters, Jean Arp, Marcel Janko, uh, Richard Holsenbeck. Um, oh, I just I just missed the other main guy, uh, Tristan Zara. Um, and so they're all hanging out and putting on what they came to call Dadaist, um, basically uh, exhibitions, performances, poetry readings, demonstrations. They have publications. I'm sure they were so cool and entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) And um, there's not much you could say to, like, describe what what would – like cohere every all the different art that they were putting out other than it's super eclectic and that their art in particular um was devoted to irrationality and spontaneity and uh freedom right so i mean you you've read a little bit of dada stuff right i mean you read that manifesto Mm -hmm. last time how would you describe it? The manifesto or... W- Just like a, a random piece of Dada art. Well, I don't even know if I could necessarily uh, bring any Dadaists to mind. Was was Magritte a Dadaist? Uh, I don't... Who? Magritte? I don't know. Who did the toilet? Duchamp. Duchamp. So that's a good point. Duchamp um, was basically, yes, a Dadaist who was doing Dada before... It had a name. Oh, okay. Um, and was probably never like very st- strongly associated with any group. He was hmm. a he lot was, on his own. Duchamping his own thing. Yep, but he's definitely of the spirit, and okay. they claimed him, a- as well as Picabia, who who did actually join the group. But these are sort of like they were doing it before it was called Dada. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a negation of any. Uh, sort of a negation of any form of universal or absolute truth or moral is what it, I don't know, maybe would be the only way I could describe it is that it's not anti anything necessarily, but it is a negation of anything that is ideological or, Mm. or, uh, absolute so that means, you know, if, if, if poetry is a means of expressing the transcendent, then Dada's poetry is, uh, is a, a means of, of expressing that there is no transcendent. I don't know. That's, that's no. probably even a reduction of it. No, yeah. Um, but like, or it would even maybe go off of that binary of like that. Would you say that Dadaist is always in opposition to one thing or does it stand? Because to me, it it feels like it should stand or does stand aside from whatever binary or sort of linear form of of expression exists. I think, yeah, I think that's ultimately right. That's where they want to get at Or that's what they would say about themselves. I think they do ultimately stem from rebellion and right. the inciting event that that brought these artists together was most of them were fleeing conscri- conscription in world war one mm-hmm. they have a lot of the same 
tendencies and, and energy and anger as the futurist and, and the desire to bring about the new with one key difference, which is they're internationalists, like ideologically internationalists, socialists, and absolutely opposed to World War One. And the futurists were nationalists and absolutely in favor of World War One. Um, and it's a really they're really twins. Um, and it's it's really interesting to like think about their similarities and, and differences. But it was opposing the war, is opposing um, <clears throat> the is opposing bourgeois society and capitalism and the middle class hunger for war that brought them together and that's exactly what they were against so um they certainly were uh, like against things primarily um and it's really what justified them in the long run that's why they have to me so much power is because they were right about almost everything um so let me just actually i'll read a little bit we um we had read a little bit from this passage uh when we were talking about futurism, just to contrast their spirit for war. Here's a little more. Um, this is from Richard, Richard Hilsenbeck, um, and he was there at the founding. Um, uh, and he says, Politicians are the same everywhere, flat-headed and vile. Soldiers behave everywhere with the same brisk brutality that is the mortal enemy of every intellectual impulse. The energies and ambitions of those who participated in the cabaret, Voltaire and Zurich, were from the start purely artistic. We wanted to make the cabaret Voltaire a focal point for the newest art. Although we did not ne- neglect from time to, te- time to time to tell the fat and utterly <laughs> uncomprehending Zurich Philistines that we regarded them as pigs <laughs> and the German Kaiser as the initiator of the war. <clears throat> then there was always a big fuss, and the students who in Switzerland as elsewhere, are the stupidest and most reactionary rabble. If in view of the compulsory national stultification in that country, any group of citizens can claim a right to the superlative superlative in that respect, at any rate, the students gave a new preview of the public resistance to Dada, which which was later to encounter on its triumphant march through the world. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep reading... a lot because they're they're everything they write is really fun like that um um and so yeah they're certainly anti-social and anti-war you know they're mm-hmm. in your face and um okay i i had read some of what data demands last time here's this is uh the central council demands <laughs> Daily meals at public expense for all creative and intellectual men and women on the Potsdamer Platz, Berlin. Compulsory, compulsory adherence of all clergymen and teachers to the Dadaist articles of faith. See, the most brutal struggle against all directions of so-called workers of spirit. Uh, skip that. The immediate erection of the State Art Center. Elimination of concepts of property in the new art expressionism the concept of property is entirely excluded from the super individual moment of dadaism which liberates all mankind introduction of the simultaneous poem 
of a communist <laughs> introduction of the simultaneous poem as a communist state prayer, state prayer, which I think is another word for like sound poetry. Um, so that would be an example of like Dada poetry. It's just like sounds and nonsense words and stuff like that. Um, so using that as a state prayer. Requisition of churches for the performance of Brutism, simultaneous and Dadaist po- poems, establishment of a Dadaist advisory council for the mo- remodeling of life in every city for over 50,000 inhabitants, immediate uh, organization of a large-scale Dadaist propaganda campaign with 150 circuses for the enlightenment of the proletariat, submission of all laws and decrees to the Dadaist Central Council for approval, immediate regulation of all sexual relations according to the views of international Dadaism through establishment of a Dadaist sexual center. <laughs> Did I lose you in that? A little bit, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, I'll try and get us back on track here. So I'm just going to try and... Maybe I'll say a little bit I don't have exact examples of Dada's works, um, but in visual things, it could be anything from uh, just abstract paintings to um, a lot of incorporation of words in their artwork, collage and diagram, um, and then in poetry, the use of nonsense words, and then in performance art, any like, I guess it would be similar. Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, okay, and now I'll, I'll read a little bit from Tristan Zara, who is pretty much regarded as the leader, although they were very informal and didn't have any uh, official leader. S- s- stop me now if there's any anything you need to interject. Um, hmm, let's see. It's interesting because I... For lack of any actual artwork, I w- I'm wondering what is what is an artist movement without artwork? You know, is it that is that is there? What do they have to show for it for all this? Okay. This is this is me at like the fatigued like um, like roommate of a person in who's a Dadaist. Like who come who like is all fired up in the middle of the night, like with his shirt off, singing nonsense poetry, being like, "Hey man, when's your when's your first show?" You know. Yeah. What did you have you made any art lately? Well, and he's like, "No, of course not." Yeah. I haven't art. Why would I make art? Yeah. I'm an artist. I'm a dadaist. Why would I make any art? I would say that that is pretty much true of the the movement uh-huh. a correct critique and i'll i'll read a little bit here from this this first guy i was reading from who basically says that mm-hmm. after only a, about three years that yeah we were pretty much full of shit <laughs> but our hearts were in the right place right um it seems that they had all of the excitement and ambition and political will that went with modern and avant-garde art but weren't actually like sitting down to work on art right. at any point. Yeah. With the exception of a few, like some of them were, 
And there are many great and interesting pieces of Dadaist visual art. I really like, um, especially they're more diagram type of things where you have mechanical mm -hmm. representations of like mechanical things that are connected to certain words. Yeah, I, um, I think I've seen some of those. And they're very interesting. Uh -huh. Marcel Duchamp, who we could do an episode on sometime, um, even if he's not officially part of the movement, is pretty much a perfect representation of this spirit. Did very little. Like, right. the amount of work he produced was very sparse, but what he did was pretty clear and purposeful and, and made an impact, and he seemed to know what he was about so that when it was time for him to put a, a urinal in a gallery, mm -hmm. it was going to gonna make an impact, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Okay, so here's Tristan Zara, who I would put in that spirit of a lot of talk, not producing very much work. Mm -hmm. And he's writing this in 24. So this is... 1924. Yeah. So this is, you know, it's been a, it's been a bit like he's probably lost some of his edge. I know that you've come here today to hear explanations. Well, don't expect to hear any explanations about Dada. You explain to me why you exist, Paul. <laughs> you haven't the faintest idea. You will say, I exist to make my children happy. But in your hearts, you know it isn't so. You'll say, I exist to guard my country against barbarian invasion. That's a fine reason. You will say, I exist because God wills. That's a fairy tale for children. You, were, you will never be able to tell me why you exist, but you will always be ready to maintain a serious attitude about life. You will never understand that life is a pun, for you will never be alone enough to reject hatred, judgments, all these things that require such an effort in favor of a calm and level state of mind that makes everything equal and without importance. Dada is not at all modern. It is more in the nature of a return to an almost Buddhist religion of indifference. Dada covers things with an artificial gentleness, a snow of butterflies released from the head of a uh, something. Dada is immobility and does not comprehend the passions. You will call this a paradox since Dada is manifested only in violent acts. Yes, the reactions of individuals contaminated by destruction are rather violent. But when these reactions are exhausted, annihilated by satanic insistence of a continuous and progressive what for, what remains, what dominates, is indifference. But, what it, what the same no, but with the same note of conviction, I might maintain the contrary. I'm going to push through this last <laughs> paragraph just to get some clarity. We have had enough of the intelligent movements that have stretched beyond measure Actually, I, this this does help. We've had enough of the intelligent movements that have stretched beyond measure our credulity in the benefits of science. What we want now is spontaneity, not because it's better or m more beautiful than anything else, but because everything that issues freely from ourselves without the innervations, intervention of speculative ideas represents us. We must intensify this quality of life that readily spends itself in every quarter. Art is not the most pre precious manifestation of life. Art has not the celestial and universal 
universal value that people like to attribute to it. Life is far more interesting. Dada knows the correct measure that should be given to art. With subtle, perfidious methods, Dada introduces it into daily life, and vice versa. In art, Dada reduces everything to an initial simplicity, growing always more relative. It mingles its caprices with the chaotic wind of creation and the barbaric dances of savage tribes. It wants logic reduced to personal minimum, while literature, in its view, should be primarily intended for the individual who makes it. Words have a weight of their own and lend themselves to abstract construction. The absurd has no terrors for me, for from a more exalted point of view, everything in life seems absurd to me. Only, elast- only the elasticity of our con- conventions creates a bond between desperate acts. The beautiful and the true in art do not exist. What interests me is the intensity of a personality transposed directly, clearly into the work, the man and his vitality, the angle from which he regards the elements, and in what matter he knows how to gather sensation, emotion, into a latticework of words and sentiments. That was a long quote. Very long. <laughs> um, so what you're saying is, um, when I'm on a dating app and a girl says, I'm looking for someone who doesn't take life too seriously. I should tell her I'm a Dadaist. Exactly. <laughs> Life's a pun, man. Life's I a love pun. that. I love that. I do. I love. I love all the stuff. I love all the stuff. It's um, it's all good. It's. I'm gonna start before I go to work. I'm thinking, every morning I'm gonna turn, piece of furniture upside down. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, take a bite out of an orange with the peel still on it yep. and leave it there. Yes. Just do kooky stuff like that. Little Dada. Every day, do one small Dada thing. Yeah. So, from his perspective, and he's probably, a, you know, as good a representative as you'll get for Dada mm-hmm. in all his pretentiousness and sort of irony, um, he is saying, like, as you're indicating... That Dada is about introducing playfulness um, and an element of farce and everydayness and not taking things too seriously uh, into all this uh, pretentious and high cultural art mm-hmm. and making small all the great traditions of culture of right. Europe right. and poking fun at them um, and especially at the at peak of war. Right. Mm-hmm. And doing that in order to, A, pop the, pop the ego of the enlightened rational spirit that created World War I and the world that we have today in order to uh, demystify and, uh, I don't know what, sort of to break the spell that it has, that it had over the modern world and modern Europe. Right. Uh, and possibly subvert the course that it was on, the destructive course that it was on. Um, but also to try and save art by bringing it into the everyday and mm-hmm. doing that by showing that it, it doesn't have to be so serious. Right. 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 I can try, I can get on board with that. I can get on the Dada train. Um, it is so interesting the way that 
that message could be misinterpreted or how you can see like much more toxic variations of it. And what comes to mind to me is like, it's like it would be, is that this give, does this give license to anti-intellectualism to um, all these people who say like, Hey man, I just like what I like. Let mm-hmm. me watch Spider-Man because it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I may be 45 years old and an investment banker, but I love children's movies <laughs> and life's too short to not have fun. You know, like these things that are seem to be like childlike, but are really the most um, just another extension of what Dada attempts to disrupt, which is like conventionality or, or like uh, lack of imagination. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, th- I think that one reason I wanted to like really highlight Tristan Zara there, who's speaking like t- 10 years after really the initial impulse of Dada, the anti-war impulse, right? is you can hear the jadedness and the sort of flippantness and um, he's just bored, you know, and you get that spirit of boredom from, from so many of them um, and so many of their artworks. I, and what I want to point out is I think there are, there is a division in Dadaism um, and um, Richard Holsenbeck in the article I've read from a lot already, he's he makes a point to pretty much like deride Tristan Zara and say that, you know, he was pretty shallow from the beginning and and wanted to be the leader of a great art movement and that was about it. Um, but he kind of draws out this point that you had the artists who ended up being from the allied countries, France and Britain and elsewhere. And as horrible as World War One was, they won. And they, if they're in Paris um, or in Zurich, like, we're probably living very high on the hog and things looked pretty good in their society. Um, And they were still sort of living out the fantasy of modernism, right? And in this article, he makes a point to describe, um, so he's like, he's one of the founders of the Berlin Dadaist group. Um, which one of the cool things about Dada is unlike surrealism, which was directly birthed by Dadaism, it didn't really have a leader. It didn't have a center. It was decentralized. It was truly like an international movement. And so he's writing from the Dada chapter of Berlin, where life is extremely hard, where they were on the the losing side low of World War One. Yeah, low on the hog. And... For him, uh, he's speaking from this side of Dada, which has been much more devastated and defeated. And I think trying to say Dada actually was about socialism <laughs> and uh, actually disrupting and subverting bourgeois society. Mm-hmm. It's not a fucking joke. You know, it's not it's not just a a game to play when you're bored 
which is kind of what Zara and that that side of things is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually was it actually was meant to be a thorn in the side of you know capital right. and power. Right. So I know I I didn't lead there very organically, and I'm not. It doesn't. I'm not trying to like trace the schisms in Dadaism, but I I just wanted to highlight. It's hard to understand because it has this sort of uh, ironical, we're not taking anything serious side to it. And then it has a very other side of it, which is serious and, you know, really means this, all this revolution stuff and is trying to make some intervention upon society before it's too late. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that raises some very complicated philosophical questions about I don't know, p- paradox and like the nature of truth. Um, like, can you have your cake and eat it too and say, we're going to subvert all meaning and uh, ideology and still assert an ideology? Yeah, right. Well, that's, that's where I guess might- it is Buddhist. <laughs> I think there's truth to that for sure. Yeah, but it does then make you want to give Mondrian and these more ordered, structured modernists, utopian modernists, a second look because they're at least they're earnest. You yeah, know? they right. have a positive vision for humanity, mm-hmm. and as naive as they sound, you know they're actually trying. Right, and as self-inflated as they sound, they mm-hmm. are, they are trying. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who I side with here. Let me let me read this uh, last passage from Olsenbeck. Um and again, this is only three. This is 1920, so it's only four years since they first got together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he says the gallery data capriciously exhibited, and this also just gives a plain <coughs> example of what they were doing. Capriciously exhibited cubist, expressionist, and futurist pictures. It carried on its little art business at literary teas, lectures, and recitation evenings, while the word Dada conquered the world. It was something touching to behold. Day after day, the little group sat in its cafe, reading aloud the critical comments that poured in from every possible country, and which by their tone of indignation, showed that Dada had struck someone to the heart. Stricken dumb with amazement, we basked in our glory. Tristan Zara could think of nothing else but to write manifesto after manifesto, speaking of the new art, which is neither futurism nor cubism, but Dada. But what is Dada? Dada, came the answer, means nothing at all. With psychological astuteness, the Dadaists the Dadis spoke of energy and will and assured the world that they had amazing plans. But concerning the nature of these plans, no information whatever was forthcoming. <laughs> right. Um, the Onion has a funny headline that I saw. They, had, they did a book of like historical headlines that are like separate from their current events ones. This one caught caught my attention once. Dada's movement ends. Victory, cried Dada. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's all. It's all. It's all right there in that description you just had. It's the mis- the mystery of Dada. Um, I just wish there was a little bit more to see, a little bit more to look at, to to kind of visually process it. Because, again, you get into this territory with the manifestos and the, you know, the f- ideologies of it all. It's it it becomes so intellectual, um, and it's like these early early 20th century guys just just were spending a little much a little too much time in the salon yeah you know not enough time in the studio yeah to be fair though i'm not they weren't grinding and grinding <laughs> you know like jackson pollock and the other guys back in america who had their <laughs> little american elbow grease yeah at work you know yes although um we aren't making a great amount of effort at this point to improve the the uh, medium of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because we could be looking at artworks, and we have tried to True. do that while podcasting. We did try that. Yeah. So for that one person who's, who wrote a really nice review yeah. and said we should po- post links, I mean, you're asking us a lot <laughs> to put links in descriptions. Of the no, pot, we of actually artworks did, we look at? We did kind of start with just linking stuff we had talked about, and then we tried streaming. We tried streaming, streaming and no, none and, of you and, watched. And using the pictures, and it was really complicated for me. Yeah. Um, and what we, we'll keep trying. We, need, we do need to figure out how to resolve this, because there are Dada's things to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dada, above all, is, is probably way too much in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it comes back to why Picasso uh, was the richest artist of all time until, you know. Why? Because he know, made so much more art than everybody else? Because he didn't write about it yeah. until much later on. Let everybody else Let do the writing for you. Let everybody else write about, right. write about him. Mm-hmm. Writers are stupid. If you want to flash in the pan, write about yourself Yeah. as an artist. Right. But if you want to be one rich 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 dude do what picasso did uh, invent reinvent or invent an entirely new form of painting that that destroys or okay fine progresses 400 years of art history yeah easy piece of cake um okay well Anything else to say? I don't know what time I'm at because I'm uh you're for whatever reason your computer doesn't register my fingerprint. <laughs> don't unplug it. Oh, come come over here and get it. I press it too many times where I have to type it now. Oops. Okay, hang on. I have nothing to say. No, we're we're at one thirty. We're we're at about Okay. Hard. Um, it's, it's a little, it's a little on the late side. We got started late tonight. This is kind of a mid midnight pod, magic yeah. magic camp after dark. Yeah, things. I, I did too many things today. I did too. That's okay. That's all right. You know. Should we end with some sort of uh, like free association Dadaist style uh, nonsense? Sure. Like a improv game. I'm sure people would love to hear that. Beep. And you reply with boop. (laughs) Clang. Ping. Airplane. Conga. (laughs) 
no meaning when I formed it. Spunk. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, See, now we are reinventing. Those are your only friends. Are the are the podcasts you listen to? Sorry, this is getting dark. <laughs> Don't need to let the cat out of the bag just yet. I'm just wonder what John Berger had to say about Dada if he had any interest at all. That's a good question. I should have looked because he loves he loved his you know his Dutch painters and. Goya and all these guys, friends, halls. I think I think he would have liked Dada. Mm-hmm. I think it's ultimately a, a case of frustrated potential, right? Um, and mixed with some some true moments of inspiration and and, and earnest intention, and th- and maybe some cynicism. Yeah, but. Um, Overall, I, there's a lot to like. I read a lot, sorry, uh, because reading them is really fun. If you ever get the opportunity, you know, they mm-hmm. make an impact. They sh- they sh- say things straight, and they were right about they were right about World War One, which is the topic of the day. Right. I'm going to read a little bit. Go for it. To go out. Okay. We're often told that we're incoherent. But into a word, but into the word, people try to put an insult. Fuck. <laughs> Started off so good. Do you want me to read it? Um, it's it's a huge thing, and I haven't yet decided which part to read. That's okay. Go for it. As Dada marches, it continuously destroys, not an extension, but in itself. For all these discuss, may I add, it draws no conclusion, no pride, no benefit. It has it, it it has even stopped combating anything, in the realization that it's no use, that all this doesn't matter. What interests Dadas, what interests Adadas is his own mode of life, but here we approach the great secret. Dada is a state of mind, that is why it transforms itself according to the races and events. Dada applies itself to everything and yet. but very simply at street corners like dogs and grasshoppers. Like everything in life, Dada is useless. Dada is without pretension, as life should be. Mm. Maybe the struggle of Dada is keeping it without pretension. True. Maybe that's our struggle, too. True. Well, credit to those guys. Credit to those blokes for for blowing everything wide open. Mm-hmm. This is bad. They just don't have asses. <laughs> no. They poop, Paul. Everybody poops. <laughs> he's, that's, that's, he's, he's struggling to think I'm of fish to poop. <laughs> Where does a fish... Proof proof that you've never cleaned a fish tank. No, I have not. I have not. Nor do I ever intend to do so. Fish poop. Gross. I don't like fish in general. 
Which is why I tried to kill that trout that one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beautiful trout. This beautiful Strangia. little stick, supple river creature, which I nearly killed by iridescently colored, too yeah. squeezing too hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we better get out of here. All right, yo, this has been Magic Camp. <coughs> yeah. What? Any? What? What else? Word to your mother. Anything? I don't think so. Word to your mother. Um, we're we're gonna get back on track here. But not. But no. <laughs> Paul is uh, on deck. I'm on deck. He I'll, owes me I'll one. be ready. I got I got something. An episode. I got something in the in the oven. Um but we're going back to school on Monday, so Yeah, right. Yeah. Um Well, it's good to see you, campers. See you in the new year. Uh see you next year as I'll be telling you and Aiden. I'll be saying that to, to Aiden tomorrow and see if he gets what I'm saying. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to qu- can't to wait to hear him cackling with laughter. <laughs> And and I'll say that joke to him from for every year from now on. Yep. Um, this is Magic Camp. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. See ya. Time after school. Yep. Bye bye.